You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and welcome to episode 76. So we were, Fran and I were just talking about we've made it way further than we ever thought we would. <laughs> you know, uh, we were just saying we, we thought at this point we would run out of ideas or mm-hmm. directions to go. You know, but early on we were really – it was a, a more narrow focus on native plants, and we've really encompassed – ecology yeah you know and, and sustainability it, it seemed like every time we'd have a guest on they'd say oh you really need to talk to so-and-so and then or or someone else would reach out and be like oh we got to fit them in and there's people that i've invited and they couldn't do it quite yet and i'm like oh i gotta circle back still to or some we, of these folks or or even during a, an episode we'll have a conversation with a guest and it will go in a direction we never expected and it, it kind of opens our eyes and it it changes what we think and what we feel and it moves us in a whole different direction even today's guest was referred to us from a past guest yeah yeah and today's guest is is really unique because we've talked about um open spaces and how they can be great Places for pollinator habitat, or or just native plants, or even like parks and and golf courses, even those kind of yeah. places, or even unexpected places. Like we talked about, uh, one of our early episodes was Audubon International with Monarchs in the Rough, where they were using golf courses for monarch habitat, and it's not necessarily the place you would think of for it's, monarch habitat. Yeah, yeah, but there's other places that have lots of uh, of open space, and um and Daryl Kabeski from, I don't remember what episode number, our first rooted discussions about the business of native plants. He said, oh, you know what? I was just talking to this guy. You got to talk to him because what they're doing is really, really cool. So, uh, and fortunately, I was all, already met uh, our guest today. So I was able to reach out to him on LinkedIn and we were able to get this together pretty quick. So Greg, why don't you introduce yourself and then tell us a little bit about where you're working now and then what you're doing. Super. Uh, thanks, Tom and friends, for having me on. Um, it's always a pleasure um, because the work that I do is uh, work that um, is is important and of sort importance is relevant. Uh, excuse me, relative, relative. And so, um, but uh, you'll understand, uh, and the audience will understand uh, why it's a unique place where it's happening, and also um, it's um, it's it's making some some um, very good use of some of this wonderful outdoor space. So, uh, my name is Greg Tepper. I am a horticulturist, and I am the horticulturist at Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill cemeteries. So we have two locations and both locations combined are an arboretum. And so our focus at, at the cemeteries naturally is eternal rest. It's for places for people to be buried. And there's a lot of history there, but there are many facets to the uh, cemetery that you're going to find out about today. And I'm really excited to tell you about things that you would never think of a cemetery as being a place uh, to experience. 
it, you know, I don't know if Tom knows this story, but I have been – I have not been to West Laurel Hill Cemetery, but I have been to Laurel Hill Cemetery, and my one experience was I saw a concert there. I saw the Dead Milkmen perform uh, a concert at Laurel Hill Cemetery. So that's that, – and that yeah. that's something you don't think of as a venue, a concert venue, but I, I know it was a, a fundraiser for the cemetery, and that's why – that's why it was there, but that was my first experience with it. But um, this experience is completely different, and it it was an eye opener for for me because it's something that's kind of crossed my mind and wondered why some the, some of these practices maybe weren't practiced at, at a cemetery. <laughs> um, and then this this whole experience for me has been such an eye opener. So. Um, I, we think the best place to start this off is I think for for most people when they think of cemeteries they don't think of habitat they they don't think of of sustainability uh, as far as native plants or ecology but that's exactly. not that's not the case here um, <laughs> and and I want us just to tell us a little bit about about those things at West Laurel Hill Cemetery. Uh, you bet. It'll be my pleasure. So uh, once again, uh, there's there's two locations. There's one in Balakinwood, which is 187 acres, and that's West Laurel Hill. And then there's Laurel Hill Cemetery, which is in the East Falls section of Philadelphia, about three miles from here. I'm at West Laurel Hill today. And so both um, combined locations are considered one uh, arboretum. And so um, naturally, um, the, the Arboretum, uh, our status as an Arboretum, first of all, is a level two Arbnet uh, uh, accredited Arboretum. What that means is we very carefully curate what's in the collection of trees and shrubs and plants. And this is what's really fun. I get to tell my colleagues, yeah, I work on a living collection at a cemetery. <laughs> 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 oh, that's awesome! That's that's awesome. You know, yeah. you know, when I first looked at the website and the work that was being done, it was obvious to me that that the cemeteries are different from other cemeteries. And and you know what? I, I guess I don't make it a practice of visiting a lot of cemeteries. You know, it's funny. I've probably been to more than than two dozen, and just out of curiosity to, yeah. to walk around. Um, but I, I feel that what you're doing is different. So I'd like to know what makes your cemeteries different. And if I'm wrong, if it's not that different compared to maybe other parts of the country, I, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. Is there a, is there a, like a, a cemetery like network almost where, where you there, share there, what each of you are doing? Yeah, there, there definitely is. Um, first of all, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a very broad answer to that question about maybe, uh, what makes you different from other cemeteries or, or unique? Um, I would say, first of all, we're what's called a rural cemetery. Mm -hmm. When we were founded, the first location, Laurel Hill, was founded in 1836. And it was called rural because it was well outside of the city of Philadelphia. It was located there because people wanted to get away from the city. They wanted to get away from the city graveyards that weren't as organized or also um, as, as thoughtfully laid out. Um, it was very important to people, especially at that time, including our founder, 
John J. Smith. Um, he, he founded the cemetery because of a personal experience he had with where his daughter was buried in Philadelphia. So he said, I want, I want to create a rural cemetery and that was modeled after Mount Auburn, which is in Cambridge, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. And so it came to 1836 and the cemetery came to be. And it was very unique in that you could come to the cemetery and not only um, bury a loved one, but beautiful, beautiful monuments. So it's also what makes us different than so many others. We have an incredible collection of sculpture, of art, uh, carved monuments that are just astoundingly beautiful. So there's, so there's that. Um, but John J. Smith also realized uh, that horticulture was important to him. And the setting was a perfect place for a collection of trees and shrubs, as well as gardens. So that was, that was really our mission from the very beginning, to not only create a place for people to uh, bury loved ones, but also to think about the setting. And it was a landscape style. So in 1836, people weren't doing that. So this was very much like a park to people. But it was it was also a collection of plants. It was a place to enjoy and stroll. And uh, and really, uh, it was it was probably one of the most popular places to the public uh, in that time. Another I- thing you got laugh at, which I love this story, is that there was a period of time in the 19th century where it was so popular with people in Philadelphia that didn't have, there's no city parks, there was no uh, state parks, no uh, national parks. So they went to the cemetery and it was so popular that they had to charge admission for people to wow. come in. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, there was a period of time, but it's, it's, it's still to this day, a beautiful place mm-hmm. to experience nature, experience uh plants, shrubs, trees, and I'll certainly delve into more of that. But I, but to back to the question about what makes us unique is that we are an arboretum and also we have a decided focus on sustainability. That's really important. And I would like, we really need to credit um, a board member, uh, uh, Cliff David, uh, with, with that uh, focus of, of focusing on sustainability and making sure that we thoughtfully do many of the things that we do. We think about its Im- impact on the environment, its impact on life, and that it's a habitat. It's a place where, where um, uh, living organisms reside. Uh, and it's an urban forest. It's a fragment in the city. And we have uh, 187 acres of, of, of uh, uh, in Ballackinwood and 78 acres in the East Falls section of Philadelphia. You know, I I think to me, and and I really want to go back to the sustainability part that because mm-hmm. we we'd really like to delve into that. I, I, but I think sure. you know, for a lot of people, a cemetery is a place that's very clean and sanitary um, and a place they visit, but not necessarily always want to stay. You know, they they want to mm-hmm. go, but I agree that it is like a park. I was actually going to ask before you went into it, how many of your visitors today are going to visit someone to pay respects or they're just there to to visit, to, to walk around mm. and, and, and look? Because I would imagine it's it's a fair amount. Um, you know, all my friends that have been there were were just going to spend the day to to walk around and be a part of it. 
Yeah. It, so um, it, with with the works that I do in the gardens and the grounds and and, and uh, uh, also working with our arboretum manager, uh, Aaron Greenberg, who um, I I would also recommend that you have Aaron visit uh, the podcast because okay. Aaron could talk specifically about the trees, about what we're doing with the trees, about the arboretum status and all the things that we do. I certainly will will cover many, many bases, but a show just about the work that he is doing, uh, I think would I think you'd find extremely interesting because awesome. there are state champion trees on both properties. Yeah, wow, I so didn't know that. Trees in the state, uh huh. Yep, some very rare trees. Some um, also uh, uh, what we do as far as uh, st- sustainable practices or best best management practices to keep our trees healthy and how they're how they're managed. Uh, he does risk assessment, so definitely would recommend that. But as as far as um, again, I guess back back to the sustainability aspect, um, people visit uh, the visitorship that comes here. First of all, with COVID, this was a place. It's there's there no there's nothing to you can just walk in. The public can walk in. It's safe, meaning it is. Uh, people can distance themselves. They can certainly wear masks, but people can run. They can they can run jog. They can walk. Uh, they can walk their dogs. They can cycle. We're near the uh, Kenwood Trail, uh, which is uh, an important part of our visitorship. It's many of many of them are cyclists. But basically, I would say that the majority of people that visit it's a balance between those attending a funeral and so forth, uh, and paying respects to loved ones. But many of them are just enjoying the beautiful outdoor space. That's yeah. I I'd imagine there's quite a few people going there just to, to admire the history as well. I know, uh, my mother-in-law actually works at a a cemetery in Trenton, um, a particularly old cemetery. And that was one of the things I was surprised by as someone who hasn't visited a lot of cemeteries that, they would get a lot of people say, oh, yeah, we're just looking for old grave markers. Or we know that there was such and such person yeah. buried here. Um, not that it was a relative. It was just a historical figure in some way, and they wanted to go and visit it for those reasons. So, yeah, yes. I mean, started in 1836. You, it's probably got to have a lot of that as well. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that, Tom, because I have to – I kind of have to move in that direction because naturally we have a lot of people that say, you know, ask about the people buried here and the history alone. Um, so, uh, at Laurel Hill cemetery, um, there's some famous, uh, uh, people buried there. A more modern, uh, famous person is Harry Callis, of course, uh, announcer for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, so that's, that's a, another really important, a lot of people come to visit his grave marker at Laurel Hill. And of course it's a, <laughs> it's a microphone, uh, which is <laughs> his monument, which is, it's outstanding. And if you're a history buff, um, General Meade, who helped win mm-hmm. the civil war. Uh, so he is also buried there along with family members, which is great to see. And that there's actually a person at Laurel Hill that is um, technically buried there, but not really there at all. Really? Any idea? <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, so <laughs> no. you know who's buried there is Adrian. Adrian, oh, because oh, that's <laughs> yeah. I was because that's from uh, which which Rocky movie Balboa? Right. I think yes, yeah. Yes. So 
So, so, so um, does that still a, reside there? That it, that great market? Yeah. So, uh, and her son, of course, too, uh, is there technically. Yeah. Uh, so the grave markers are there. That was part of the uh, the movie, um, obviously, uh, and we maintain them as regular grave markers. We wow. have them. Uh, we have them uh, uh, planted, landscaped. It's it looks very nice, and people naturally come to pay their respects to Adrian. So, uh, which is great. So that is um, awesome. You can imagine. A lot of, lot of interesting people, but uh, I would highly recommend uh, looking into uh, our, the website at Laurel Hill to find out about the different mm-hmm. programs and tours. And you can, you can visit these fascinating uh, sites. And Tom, like if you're, if you, you know, that's something that friends or your mom or so forth is interested in doing, um, you can actually have a docent led tour and they might say, I want to, I want a tour that talks about, uh, you know, I want to, I want to go on the tour that talks about all the Titanic survivors. Really? Yes. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and those that perished on the Titanic. So there's, there's many. Then if we, if we look uh, at the history again at Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill, Laurel Hill's 1836, West Laurel Hill's 1869, you're going to hear more notable people mm-hmm. also buried in 1869 you guys uh, baseball buffs at all yeah mm-hmm. yeah okay we totally well um do you know that the father of baseball is buried here at west lower hill cemetery abner, abner doubleday yeah. it's actually not Ab- abner doubleday uh okay. it's yeah so the of course his his name is is completely uh just going right out of my brain at the moment but it's <laughs> Father of baseball, okay, uh, is here, and you can see see his grave, and also um, some notable uh, celebrities. Uh, we we had Teddy Pendergrass is oh, wow. buried here, yeah, and Grover Washington Jr. is also buried here. I did not know that. There's some wonderful notable people like that. Um, how about if you're a history buff, you know the uh, in in Philadelphia, you know uh, the. Uh, uh, Billy Penn, correct? The statue? Yes. Okay. So the famous sculptor, Alexander Calder, is also uh, buried here and as well as his wife. Um, so that's a just you can imagine with all the different famous people that we have, there's uh, there, there's there's something for everybody. Uh, I know a lot of people visit uh, Hobie Baker. Um, great. Mm-hmm. But he was a hockey legend. So. Um, if, if you come just for that, you're going to have a blast, but if you, while you're here, you're also going to see it's a absolutely beautiful setting and it's full of life. There's, there's so much habitat, urban forest that is homes to birds and mammals. We have foxes, uh, we have groundhog (laughs) and we have deer, uh, but you know, that's, that's a part of it. But but it is it is a very important uh, part of of a habitat, and uh, I look forward to talking more about that with you guys too, and telling you more about how we uh, a very special section of our cemetery as well dedicated to that. And and I think that's what we're working towards because I definitely want to circle back about sustainability. Mm-hmm. And one of mm-hmm. the things before we even get there on on something that you said, like I have visited cemeteries before where it looks like you know they're probably full and maybe mm-hmm. they've been cared for for so long maybe the funding's not quite there you can kind of see like they're in ill you know disrepair yeah. you know and and that's sad to see in one respect but 
Yes. You're, you're looking at the opposite. When you think of that, you think about the cost of what it takes to maintain this almost park-like mm-hmm. natural setting, uh, which I can't imagine. So where – and I would imagine the cost for that has got to be even greater. So where did the commitment of the sanctuary's sustainability stem from, and, and what was the, the process to, to get you to where you are today? So it's really came, uh, it was a directive from the board for okay. sure. The, the board, when they meet they're they're always thinking about what is our past. Let's celebrate the past and what's our, what's our present, what's currently happening, where are the trends and what's the future. So let's, let's embrace the future. So <clears throat> um, keeping that in mind, um, as I mentioned, one of the board members, uh, uh, Cliff David, uh, said that this is really an important. Uh, this is an important aspect of what we should be doing, and sustainability is is defined broadly by many people. But basically, sustainability, um, when we look at it ecologically, it's about what do we do and how do we do it, and what are what are its effects, and it's everything from how do we dig up soil, what happens to the soil. Um, how is it affected? How do we, how do we um, care for the grass? How do we care for the trees? How many trees do we have? And each tree that we have sequesters carbon. How many more trees can we plant? How much more carbon can we sequester? You can see, you can go in many tangents with it. But this, is, this was a beginning. They decided, let's look at what we do and how we do it and see how we can do it the best possible way to, to really make sure that our environment is, is benefiting as well as the citizens in our area. How, for, for those that don't know about Nature Sanctuary, can uh. you <laughs> – can, sure. can you can we talk about that? Can you can you explain to our oh, listeners what Nature Sanctuary is? It, it would be my pleasure. So, as a part of the since since uh, sustainability was our focus, um, this is an aspect of that. And so, interestingly, as more and more people became aware of, well, what happens to me after I die? Where do I go? And we had a traditional way, which many people subscribe to, and understandably so. Uh, people find that when they pass. There's a process that, that people go through to be buried, and it includes embalming. It includes going to a casket. The casket then goes into a, a cement vault, and the cement vault is buried in the ground. And so people started to – there was really a great um, awareness of, of, is there another way we can do this? So uh, have you guys both heard of and understand what a green burial process is? I don't know. I, no, I honestly can't ah, say I did. Right. Perfect. Okay. So really uh, green burial is, is really, it's a burial process that, that has a, a much more positive effect, or you could say very little effect on the environment and ecology, which is a good thing. So <clears throat> a green burial basically is no longer using cement vaults, no longer using caskets that don't biodegrade, and uh, no longer using uh, practices uh, that have a negative impact on the environment. So what Nature Sanctuary is, is Nature Sanctuary is our green burial space. It's a space where when somebody passes away, the, the typical example is they pass away, 
and they they cannot be preserved, um, so they cannot have mm-hmm. uh, the formaldehyde um, and 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 so forth. And so what happens is the 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 person must be buried in a short term, okay. and when they're buried, <clears throat> um, they are uh, put into the ground. It's the the green burials that we have are hand dug. They are hand dug mm-hmm. spaces. They're four feet down. And the body is either in a biodegradable shroud, such as linen, silk, or cotton. Um, they can be just the shroud. It could also be um, a wicker casket or a pine casket that will eventually uh, degrade um, once uh, once it's, it's it starts to uh, age and so forth. So really, it's very much like the way burials were before the Civil War when these chemicals and these processes uh, weren't, weren't created. And it's a way of returning to the earth. And many people find that to be much more uh, attractive to them. Uh, you may have heard the funny old saying, like my father used to say this. He'd say, oh, I don't, don't put, no fuss, no fuss. Just put me in a pine box and bury me. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think it, a lot of people. It, it's funny, but it's true. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people don't, know that that isn't the case i think a lot of people think they just get buried do you know any of the history of why they started using the concrete vaults and and the more yeah. ornate cassie i was surprised when a, a friend of mine actually started a um a, a grave digging company and oh, then okay. I, that's how the only reason i knew about a lot of the stuff i didn't know that that was the case right. before i will say this before we delve into it i'm today Today, days old about learning about the <laughs> yeah. cement oh, yeah. vault because I've actually never been to a burial. Mm-hmm. Like I, so I, I'm just learning that today. I didn't even know that existed. So I, I have to tell you guys, you know, I've always worked in public horticulture. I've worked in previous jobs, and I, I, native plants are my expertise, especially ferns. But when I came to work as a horticulturist at a cemetery, I didn't know about green burial, and mm-hmm. I've learned i didn't know how to i knew about managing a native plant meadow and you'll learn more about the green burial but i too i had lost my father in 2005 other than knowing he went into a fancy metal casket um i did not know the whole process either so i have since learned and um it's nice to know now that we have um uh, broader options and options too that are um certainly uh, better, better on the environment. So, to your question, Tom, the cement vault. Basically, it, one of the good things about cement vaults, and I learned this from the operations guys. You know, the guys that also work here and do the burials, um, is that they can actually put when somebody buys a lot um, and and they're going to be buried there, they they can actually have um, the uh, the concrete vaults can be buried, pre buried, and mm-hmm. be ready. So that and I, I learned this is what happened with my dad. Uh, you know, he he they had a it was already there was a vault there already, a big cement box with a lid that can be pulled off with a machine. And so uh, once the person passes it, the, the soil's dug, they pull they they open, they go down to the to the uh, to the uh, that that vault and they open it up and they put the casket in and it stays in there. And it's really for a very, very long time. It's gonna, it's gonna be there. So, the history of body preservation, as I have understood it, 
And this is something you certainly want to delve into with, uh, if you're of interest, you know, talking to a funeral director that we have here, they're all really cool about talking about stuff like this. (laughs) They're like, you know, they'll still sit there and, you know, oh yeah, have a drink. Yeah, let's talk about it. (laughs) And so I, at first I was a little like, Ooh, I don't know about this, but the more you understand that this is, death is a part of our life. It's something that we all have to deal with. Some of us deal with it better than others. Some of us pre-plan and some of us do not. So uh, for those that pre-plan the, uh, the, the cement vault and, and that works, but you can also do the green burial. But anyway, back to the cement vault and then the formaldehyde, it supposedly came from around the civil war time. And this was a time when so many uh, had, had uh, died in the war, uh, they'd lost their lives, that they just could not all be buried at the same time. So the idea of preserving the bodies to make them ready for proper burial uh, was the reason why, as I understand, yeah. that this came to be. So, um, but interestingly, before we had a lot of this this technology was in place, but as far as how how did people get buried um, uh, in the past before we had machinery and so forth? Well, uh, prior to the nineteen, I'm going to say it's about the 1930s, I believe it is, maybe into the 40s before we had large machinery. There were what was called receiving vaults. So if it was January and your loved one passed away. Um, they would be put into a receiving vault until the crew was able to dig the soil because it frozen. So the receiving vault kept them at a nice chilly temperature and kept them in uh, uh, preserved as well as the formaldehyde. And then, you know, so isn't this interesting? Yeah. Here yeah. is a yeah. yeah. plant. And we're talking about this, but yeah. it all, it all <laughs> we're getting there. Well, that's where we, we that's mentioned exactly. before you have the, the service Barry, at least yeah. the folklore behind the name is that that was an indication. The ground was had thought, thought enough, enough that to... you could start having funeral services. Oh, I've not heard that. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, so Amalanke or that, the whole thing, I guess up in, in the new England states that when it buried, I, it was warm enough to, to, to have your service. Oh, oh, cool. I, boy, is this going to be, I'm going to have fun with this one with the family. <laughs> it's rub that's actually new. <laughs> well, so this is cool. So for our, our listeners that the first time I saw a photo of nature sanctuary, I, I would have never have known that I was looking at a cemetery. I thought I was looking at a beautiful, just natural meadow. Um, yeah. So yes. that's what kind of shocked me. And then I was thinking about, it, I'm like, that makes sense. You know, to me, at least there's, you know, I'm sure we've all had people said, I I don't want you to go to a cemetery to mourn for me. Just sprinkle my ashes somewhere. And <laughs> but you know, even if you were to do that, you're not guaranteed in the future that that place will exist or still be mm-hmm. in the same form as when you sprinkle the ashes. There's there are no guarantees that way. Um, even yep. if you want it to be somewhere natural, especially at the the rate that we're losing natural spaces, well, you can have the yep. best of both worlds here. It's it's true. Um, the I, I certainly do want to delve into the advantages of green burial and also how how we do it. Um, but first, um, I want to mention that our green burial site, again called Nature Sanctuary, um, it was originally it's the history of it was that they decided in two thousand eight that they wanted to start this, but. 
it was it was a newer um, idea and process at that point, and there was much still to be learned. Also, in learning about how to best manage it, like how so so if we do a green burial, do we do it in the rest of the cemetery? Well, they they decided to have a specific area that this was done, um, and they they also uh, started to realize well, uh, so if if it's a green burial area, uh, we keep it a natural space. Um, that means the grass doesn't get mowed. Okay, the grass doesn't get mowed. And so the thought was, we'll just let it return to a, a natural environment. Well, you know, uh, in Bala Kenwood, the natural environment also includes uh, things like porcelain berry, <laughs> stinging nettle, and mugwort. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that was the very beginnings. And it wasn't as attractive looking as they had hoped or wanted. Um, so fortunately along the process after several of the burials had happened, um, it became apparent that we needed to have a new approach. So they actually hired a landscape architect to help with that, Adam Supley. And what he was able to do was come up with a, a whole management strategy and process for the area. And it was his um, to come up with what was called a managed succession meadow. Was, was any so, was anyone else doing this at this time? Was like, did you have any anywhere to look to to see an example, or were, was this something like a brand new I, idea? Yeah. Believe so, but I don't. That part of the story, I don't know. I okay. really don't know what. Um, so. I, I came to this. Uh, I came to this in March of 2019, okay. and I've been looking ever since. But that's a great question, Pran. I will have to find out for you because I would assume so that there's others, but I'm not too aware. I know when I do lectures for the, I'll be doing one for the Green Burial Council. Uh, the, the purpose for my lecture is because of the interest in that. Is mm-hmm. a man's question okay. that up? Okay. So. Um, yeah, so his idea was that, okay, it starts out as a sunny space, okay? You've got burials happening. It's going to be disturbed uh, from time to time and so forth. Um, but once the burials are in place, does it remain a sunny uh, meadow with meadow plants? Or how do, we, how, do we, um, how do we manage it thereafter? So the idea was that we would start with a sunny meadow um, with native plants, exclusively native plants, and I'll get into why exclusively native in a bit. Um, And then uh, from that, we put in native shrubs and young native trees so that over time and with succession, the sunny plants will eventually become uh, vying with the shrubs and the trees for light. The trees will get bigger, the shrubs will get larger, and there'll be fewer sun-loving herbaceous plants more trees and tree canopy, more shrubs, and uh, fewer herbaceous plants, but the herbaceous plants that will remain will be those that live in a woodland. So ferns, sedges, and woodland plants. So that's what you will see. And the time period for the succession is planned to be about 100 years. Mm-hmm. So I will not be here when all that comes to its its uh uh, it's Zenith. It's it's a, a final point, um, but I'm here at the very beginning, and um, and I have the ability. Uh, Aaron and I work together on this for sure, but I I have the ability to make the choices about the plant material that's there, and um, a big part of that is not just the managed succession. Isn't just uh, so that we're doing. Um, it, it's certainly an ecological step. 
but it's also about perception because perception's everything. When people come to see it um, and they see something that's beautiful, something that's uh, we we give them uh, uh, obvious cues that we care for it mm-hmm. and and nurture it. And my favorite word is I steward it. I really take care of it. It's not, it's not something that is just maintained. It's really cared for. And so it becomes, it starts to become a very special space because it's not only beautiful, but it's, it supports wildlife. When I saw this summer, all the, the goldfinches visiting, and I've seen, um, interesting birds that, that uh, like kinglets and so forth that are visiting that, that are using this space and are native pollinators. They love it. They, the bees go crazy for the Menarda and, and the salvias. We have the salvia zuria in there and all the, all the different min family members and goldenrods. So there's that. And then there's another very important aspect of it. When those people that have lost their loved ones, come to visit. And let me tell you guys, if, if I didn't think there was a reason to do this, like I love the plants, of course, I love gardening. I love caring for it. But when I have a family member say to me, I'll give you an example, Steph uh, Brunel, whose husband is buried there. I remember the day I met her. She said, are you Greg? I said, I am. Yes. She said, you take care of this now, don't you? I said, I, I do. She said, well, I just want to introduce myself. I, my husband's buried here. And she said, what you're doing means all the world to me. You're taking care of the space at which my husband is now eternally resting. And you have no idea how comforting that is. And she and I both got emotional about it. I couldn't help it. I was like, wow, you know, like, so we're making a big difference. And so sustainability Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill. Naturally, West Laurel Hill is the site for nature's sanctuary. But you can see we take it very seriously and it has far reaching, wonderful effects. It really does. You know, to me, it's not even, and I apologize, you just sparked like 20 questions. So I'm trying to like, <laughs> like bring it back, <laughs> bring it back. But, but like to, to me, like that's not even someone with their final resting place because now they're part of a living ecology like that just the fact that you could have it could have been chosen to remain a meadow and we know that in our area meadows are part of successional forests and they want to become a forest over time especially with the amount of rain we get so you could have done all the work to keep it a meadow or it's consistently changing and 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 it's in a growth manner. So even though it's someone's final resting place, they're a part of that ecology. They're helping the growth of this whole area, yeah. in yeah. essence. And it's a you think back to well before humans were were at that site, and then even uh-huh. right after that was a something that happened is you'd have animals that would die, and they would eventually go back into the earth, or yeah. it had people that died, whether it's Native Americans or. And they would eventually go back into the earth, and this is that yeah. was a part of that's been missing really from from a lot of our landscape because we've confined it to smaller areas. But this is, and then eventually, yeah. like you said, with the vaults, we we made it so it wasn't even a part of the cycle. Well, I, but, I guess that's one of my questions: is how how popular has 
nature sanctuary become over time because it is a perception, a change of perception of what most people would think as a resting yeah. spot for their loved ones. So it's it's different and it's not, I guess, but I guess to me it's almost radically different of how you perceive it and it's a change of perception and people don't always want their perceptions changed. They, they want exactly. tradition. Yep. Exactly. And so we are sensitive to that. Um, I know many people that they do like the traditional burial and the advantages of that to them. Um, and I totally get it. And then there are those that also choose this option and they're so happy to have the different options. And so that's a, that's a big plus. So um, yes, it, the, the very quickly, just back to the meadow aspect uh, that as, the fact that it's going to be a meadow is going to be, that's going to be that way for quite some time. Yeah. But when you're asking about um, how popular is it? Well, guess what? It's sold out. Wow. wow. Yeah. We have, we have pre-sold the spaces within the current nature sanctuaries parameters right now. So there's two types of, there's two types. Uh, one is called an at need and what's called a pre need. So pre need are people that say, you know, they're planning and so forth. They, they look at their options and they say, green burial is for me. This is what I want. So they pre need and they, they buy us a space. Uh, they can also buy a space for their spouse. Uh, and so the fact is they can go in at one point and their spouse can go in next to them at another point. So we keep track of where okay. people are buried naturally in the space. Uh, that's, that's important. Um, but then there's also at need. And sometimes there may be a situation, let's say where uh, someone uh, left in their will uh, that they, they've decided they want a green burial option. Maybe the family didn't know, or for whatever reason, at the very last minute, somebody might've had, they might've said a traditional burial and they say, you know what? I've decided I want to be green burial, uh, green burial. And so the, they, the people, family members, uh, when the person passes need to immediately find uh, this option. And so, so we have our ad need. So you might be asking, okay, well, if you're sold out, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to expand. And so uh, we, we're going to continue for those, uh, those spaces where uh, people have pre-bought. Uh, they can remain there. They're always going to be there for them. Uh, and when their time comes, they'll, they'll be buried in the meadow there. And, uh, and we will clear the plants, uh, cut them back. The, the hole will be dug. And then we replant and reestablish where that one burial went. But the, uh, now the expansion is going to be flanking on, on the left and right sides. And so um, this part of it for me as a horticulturist is also exciting because I literally get to plan and design the plants that are going to go in prior to those burials and then uh, what will go in afterwards. So it's, it's, a, it's a really great honor, I feel, and a really unique, um, um, <laughs> a, a unique, uh, uh, let's, uh, I, I love the word honor, honestly, but it's a, it's, it's really a, a unique uh, position to be in, to do a design for native meadow as a place that people will be buried. So, so I, I, I feel that the service that you're providing is a service to both honoring the living and the dead. 
you know, because you're you're preserving the food web and and pollinators and ecology for for future generations uh, because that's greatly needed. Plus, it's honoring in such a beautiful way loved ones that had passed. So. I know this is yeah. a weird question, but it, and then we're going to move more towards the plant material. But yeah, is there any incentives for cemeteries to do this, or is this just something done out of out of the love for it? I, I'm going to say I'm going to say the incentive is well. First of all, let me say it's it's not about it's less expensive. No, people I, sometimes oh, it's got to be less expensive. There's no embalming. There's no you know special casket. Those are small parts of the price. What it's about is it's about having the staff uh, and the resources at hand to keep maintaining it. It has to be maintained. And and that's the part of it, uh, especially as a natural space, in order for it to not only appear uh, well, but, uh, but keep out invasives, uh, make it uh, a space that the public can use because people can walk in with their dogs. They can they can just enjoy the space. It, it is really beautiful. It's a place you want to kind of sit down and just watch the bumblebees and the birds. Yeah. It's like a park. Um, um, so, so there's that, but I would say the incentive is to, is to um, offer people the option uh, so that you know that you're coming to a place that is really thinking about the needs of that, of the individuals Mm -hmm. as varied as they can be. There's also religions that this is a much more, uh, uh, this is much more of approachable um, type of burial for them, uh, for their, uh, their beliefs. So it's, that's an important aspect too. So this, there, there is certainly appeal to many because of this. So that would be the incentive. To to me, you've already thought about the future. You've, you've already planned or, (laughs) or, or, or thinking or caring about the future, which is an important aspect that I don't think you always get, um, which, which I love. So, and I'm sorry, if you also, I just wanted to mention very quickly, if you also, uh, back to, back to the fact that the board is thinking, about the past, about the present, and about the future, um, because this is a beautiful space. It's it's a hundred and and uh, eighty seven acres here at West Laurel Hill. Uh, so um, if it's when that day comes where maybe they say it is totally full, what's it going to be after that? Is it going to be? It's 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 going to always be a place for people to come and enjoy the beautiful landscape. So. Um, that's I think that's way 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 far off. That's way in the distance, but it's thinking again about the future, and that's that's what the board does. They think about these things, uh, including including uh, naturally uh, our CEO uh, Nancy Goldenberg. She she leads uh, helps lead the board uh, in in a lot of these decisions that are made and so forth, and and the thought about what what is what's the cemetery about and why is it doing what it's doing things like that. That's awesome. So yeah. I, I, I know you're looking forward to this part, but we want to talk a little bit about the, the plant choices and the choices for, for the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. I was really I, I said it earlier, kind of shocked to know that you're planning for succession. Yeah. Um what kind of went into that decision? Because like I said, you didn't have to do that, but over time it so, will Yeah, but that originally was that was really Adam Suplee's uh okay. thought is his uh, I would say it was really, really his idea. I've come on board at a point where, uh, where they needed someone to to uh, 
manage it uh, okay. that had had the had the uh, know how and the expertise to do so. So, um, but yeah, that that really he was hired as a consultant, and um, it also because that was his uh, that was his idea. I can't I can't comment on on okay. how he came up with it, but I do know he was aware, made aware that sustainability was at the heart of it. Awesome. Um, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And we can justify it. Um, so, um, yeah. All right. Um, awesome. But just a couple other, there's definitely some more things to tell you guys about. I think you're going to really enjoy, um, but I'll, I'll, I'll certainly let you continue with your questions. Oh, no, no problem. And I, I want to hear it. So I guess one of my questions is when you're, when you're creating a naturalized area and you're going to be expanding, mm-hmm. what are you looking at as far as your model for, what what is native um are, are you looking at what is native to Balakinwood um and what would mm-hmm. have been there or is it a broader sense of of native just trying to something more localized excellent well great question and this is where this is where i think my background in native plants and knowing about the mm-hmm. variety of of choices of native plants is important. So I'd like to begin with how I define a native plant. Okay. I use the, the classic Doug Tallamy uh, native plant explanation. If it fills a role in ecology, it benefits our native pollinators and our wildlife, and they can utilize it and create a habitat from it. And it's, it's, it's usable to them. It's a native plant of value. And that's how I make my choices. So when I think of plants that are going to go in there, I'm thinking about what will be the the benefiting um, um, pollinators and insects uh, and, and of course, uh, mammals and wildlife, birds, and, and so forth. Okay. So that also is my best management practices also have to support that. If I have echinaceas or I have uh, other uh, seed-producing plants, uh, they're only as good uh, they bloom and they're beautiful and they, they serve the bumblebees. But if I completely cut them down to the ground before the seeds are eaten by the goldfinches, I have kind of missed, missed that aspect of it. So it's, it's always, I'm always thinking, well, this is what now, what about how and why, how and why, um, I'm doing these things. So my plant choices, um, for the expansion, especially, are, are certainly going to be, once again, pollinator benefits, wildlife benefits. And also, uh, I need to put in plants uh, that are going to be beautiful. Uh, that's, that's important, too, because aesthetics are important to humans, how it's perceived and, and what it looks like. Um, but I also have to think about this other critter, uh-huh, the deer. So we live in Mon- – we live, yes. Uh, we are in Montgomery County, um, Pennsylvania, and the deer density here is about 40 deer per square mile. So I've got deer visiting all the time. So my best management practices need to also uh, counter that. And how I deal with the deer is I try to find deer-resistant native plants, of which there are some. I wrote a book about it. Uh, that's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, and and so they do exist, but there's also strategies such as deer repellents. We can't keep the deer out. We don't have a deer fence, um, and we're a cemetery, so uh, there's access um, really um, all the time, uh, especially during the day, to the property. So, um, so what I have to do is I have to figure out my strategy. Okay, I've got a good balance of plants that deer don't like, but the ones that they do like that I do want to include. 
I just have to make a part of my care for the area is spraying for, for these, uh, for the repellents and mm-hmm. applying repellents for the deer. So that's another part of wow. it. Wow. You know? when, when, <laughs> when, when starting out, because this was land that was already part of the cemetery, was it, was mm-hmm. the land fallow? Like, were you, were you coming in with almost pristine soil that, that was still, or, you know, rich and untouched or, or were you dealing with maybe something, uh, yeah. you know, where it had ha- been handled differently a hundred years ago and you're just dealing with what you're dealing with? Yeah. Great question. And this is the other thing that completely blows people's minds. It was originally the dump. Wow. That's what it was. And so there was a period of time in the past where if it was any debris, whether it was old rocks, uh, it wasn't necessarily so much trash as I understand. It was really just debris from the cemetery, like logs. Where'd you put branches? Where'd you put, you know, the flowers that got put on the grave? I don't even know what all went into the dump. I just know that it was the dump and it wasn't a place that, that, you know, was a positive place. Um, and so, um, they decided to completely redo it and, and rethink it and boy, in a big way. So it was remediated. The soil was remediated. They took a rock, they took debris out of it and so forth. They also, uh, built a soil, they added organic matter. Um, so in, in the primary middle section, nature sanctuary, it, it was originally a dump. Now the flanking sections on the left and the right side, those were more of the original, um, soil, um, not as disturbed as some of the other areas. And so <clears throat> moving forward, um, those, um, those areas, I'm, I'm really going to um, just keep them pretty much as they are. I'm not a big soil amendment person unless it's soil that is highly already manipulated and yeah. in bad shape. Um, most of our native soils are really actually pretty decent and provide the plants with the things they need. So uh, but I'll you, certainly delve into that too. Yeah, yeah. Where, where you're at, it's Piedmont? Uh, so, or- so we are. Or, let's see. Yes, we would be. We are still considered. Uh, this is Piedmont. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So Very close to the edge of coastal plain, but right. Correct. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I know that line is is somewhere through there. So I just wasn't quite sure correct. what it would be considered. So, um, and yeah. and I would have guessed having some state trees on those properties. There are still some because I would imagine early on there were things planted that weren't native. I would imagine. Oh yeah, primarily um, it was very popular for European and mm-hmm. and Asian trees. A lot of ginkgo bilobas, uh, you know that that was something that was planted. It, it was a popular tree in the past. Unfortunately, there was a lot of uh, female females. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they uh, of course have the stinky fruit. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so so there certainly was that. Um, but um, um, so it 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 it, it was. Um, we've, we've already determined it was a dump. It was remediated. It was improved. It was, uh, uh, made into nature sanctuary. And so another part of the, the wonderful aspect of the fact that this is a, uh, it's how we care for it. It's what's there. We actually was, were able to achieve sites gold status. Mm-hmm. And, and I would love for you yeah. to explain what that is. Yes, yes, absolutely. It would be my pleasure. So basically, sites, S-I-T-E-S, 
is an initiative and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, to put it probably the most basic I can say is it's, it's a, it's been defined um, by, by the the sites initiative um, that these are the best management practices you should follow um, in order to make sure that everything you're doing, what you're doing and uh, why you're doing it uh, meets the criteria. And so that means that, your best management practices uh, do not impact the environment negatively. You only positively affect them. Um, so that means I do not use um, I do not use uh, chemical herbicides. Uh, the only herbicide I use, besides a lot of hand pulling and things like that, is um, is uh, horticultural vinegar mixed with orange oil. Uh, that's very, very effective, especially in the hot weather for, for weeds. So we do that. No fungicide use by any means. Uh, and if we were going to have any, uh, no pesticides for sure, no chemicals. So if we're going to have an issue with a certain insect, um, the insects are going to have to kind of uh, fight it out. And we have a threshold. We just have to realize not all the plants are going to look this this perfect. And if there was something that I thought is really infested, if I was going to have any kind of intera- any, any kind of um, um, something I would do, again, a best management practice, um, I would choose um, an IPM approach, integrated pest management, where I would get native insects that you can purchase, such as ladybugs, to take care of uh, things like the leafhoppers or, or, or the uh, uh, aphids, you know, things like that. Um, so there's that. Also, Sites Gold requires that we think about, will the public benefit? How, how will they benefit from this? Uh, so it's, it's engaging. It's a place of beauty. Um, we also have interpretive signage. Uh, so that people understand what it is and why it's happening and how we take care of it. So there's that aspect. And then my best management practices um, also have to um, consider uh, uh, rainwater uh, mitigation. So if we have permeable or impermeable surfaces, I am responsible for how those that water is is dealt with. We don't wow. put it into gully and out to a to a sewer it's it stays on the property so that it can be gathered and then uh, goes into a rain garden and then back into the soil and into the aquifer so keeping it on on in in place reduces obviously runoff in a large 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 way um and then um the, the other part of it that not a lot of people think about that I'm very proud of how I manage is I manage the soil. I think that the soil is much more than just dirt. Or as I remember my soils professor in, in uh, college said, uh, dirt is what's under your fingernails. Soil is what you plant plants in. So I always, always like that. I like that. Um, isn't that great? That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's not super. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really thinking about the life of the soil. So I have to, I have to make sure that there is, there, there are uh, trees, shrubs, and plants that are sequestering carbon. Uh, um, so uh, that's, that's an important aspect, but the soil life, I add leaf mulch. Leaf mulch helps to absorb rainwater. Leaf mulch helps to add organic material build the soil nutrient uh, value, build the soil uh, structure, makes it excellent structure, getting it ready for that woodland. It's going to be someday. And it, it, 
it also feeds our soil life, the soil fungi and the soil bacteria that are so important and live uh, hand in hand with these plants. We often forget just how important our soils are. And uh, so I have a lot of responsibility uh, to do this. And when I say a lot of responsibility, it's it's a it's a pleasure and an honor to to steward yeah. this. I'm not I'm not. Uh, it's it's a it's a good responsibility, it, a great responsibility. It, and it's you actually kind of touched on. And I know you had mentioned earlier. You know, like it has to be beautiful. You have people that are visiting that that are are seeing loved ones and want a good experience. But mm-hmm. especially working with the soil, are you able to? Do some of those practices like do you have to rake the leaves up? Do you are you able to leave the perennials until they drop seed and, and let yeah. let great, insects great, overwinter yeah. before you cut them back? Or, or is is that yeah. acceptable to to your patrons to do that, or is is it a compromise? Yeah, so excellent question. So once again, back to sustainability, we have to think about the good old, the good words of recycle, reuse, repurpose. How can we, um, how can we think that way? But for something's disposed of, how can we use it? So you can imagine with hundreds of trees in this arboretum, we've got a few leaves. So what happens with the leaves? The leaves are, uh, are collected uh, off the surfaces on many places where they have to be picked up mm-hmm. and we reuse them. They do not, uh, they're either, uh, they're either composted or made a part of a compost that, and that, and that soil is reused. We build a soil that also goes into other parts of the cemetery and those leaves go down in nature sanctuary. Wow. It becomes a part of how I take care of mitigating weeds and that whole thing I talked about earlier. So the leaves come from the property. So we reuse them, repurpose them, if you will, recycle all that wonderful lignin and carbon and, and so forth. So, yeah, that's, awesome. so that's, where, that's where that comes from. I, I love so much of this conversation. I, I was <laughs> so happy to hear about the rain garden and, mm-hmm. and yeah. the water capturing and filtration and, and all of this reusable. It, it, it's, it's, it, it's just, it just makes me yeah. feel so good. Yeah. I don't and, know how. And the, <laughs> the sites program, as far as I understand, is fairly new. Uh, it, by it new, is. it's within like the last decade or so, I think. Yes. And so what it really does is it gives people parameters. It gives them guidelines of what they should follow if they want to, if they want to um, uh, really build a better environment um, or, or steward a better environment. So there's a site's gold um, certification and we've achieved it. And as I understand, I think we are the only, I think we're the only green burial area that has such a certification oh, wow. that wow. I'm aware of. And so I'm very, we're very proud of that really are. So, um, but um, the way that I, I talk about this garden is I like to say it's a garden to feel good about because mm-hmm. yeah. oh. you feel good about it when you know everything that goes into it or doesn't go into it. And what its benefits are, um, it you can't help but walk away. This is this is a good space. It really is. And um, I think you guys probably have already figured out you're not going to be able to get away without not without visiting. I got to have oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, you got. I'm seeing. This, I'm, so. I was already thinking. Oh, when am I going to be in that area? Oh, we'll, that I could. We'll come <laughs> visit. visit. Yeah. I I guess I I want our listeners to realize just the amount of work because. 
a natural space and having a natural space doesn't mean you just let it go mm-hmm. and it remains natural. Yeah. It's it's yeah. main and and the word that you keep using, which is such a uh, crucial word, is steward. You're yeah. you're stewarding yeah. this land because it is a cemetery, so you do have disturbed soils. I'm sure invasives have to be. Yeah. You, you already mentioned how 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 much of an issue are invasives at the location. So invasives are a huge issue. Um, in fact, when I took took on managing it the majority of what was there um, had been completely overwhelmed with mugwort, stinging nettle, um, porcelain berry, uh, Japanese uh, hops. Uh, we had it all in the neighboring properties. Uh, it, it just, it's, it's all coming in. You know how quickly they, mm-hmm. they invade. So that's a part of the job is just getting it under control. And I've been working on this since I started in March, 2019 it took me a full year to fully get it all behind me to see what do I have to do next and what's, but now I'm in a place where I know what I got to do and I know what's got to have to happen. And we're still playing catch up. We're trying to catch up for all the years that um, it was not. The the other part of it too, in in honesty is the, the company had the green burial area, but they just didn't have the staff to take care of it. And, and, I don't think it's a fault that goes to anybody. It's just that so many of us, you guys have probably had this experience with, with gardens. They take a lot of time. They just do. Um, But if we start to realize the time that we're taking is, is a positive investment. It's an, it's an investment. It is a lot of work. Yes. But once you get to what I call that sweet spot where there's the right balance, less effort has to go into having the same result. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, and I'm just trying to turn the tide. I got the, I got this big, you know, this, I'm trying to push back this, these, these invasives, but if, if incrementally you keep hammering at it, you do get it under control. And the other, um, the other key word here is consistent care, not just, okay, I'll work on it in two weeks or I'll work on it next month. It's consistently going in. It's just a part of the deal. How much how much new planting still occurs? Is that something that that doesn't end? Is it is it a constant it keeping up? Yes. Yep. So um, I've gotten to a point where some of the areas are what I would call fully planted, but they still have reservations in them. So a spouse uh, where a, uh, someone had passed and and a spouse then dies, they have to their their reservation or their space is opened up again. So things do get dug up. But as you guys know, native plants are very resilient. If they can get established and they're in good shape, I can we can really cut them back um, for all the surrounding area from where the where the uh, the hole will be uh, dug. Uh, it's dug, and the plants that were in that footprint from that that rectangle for where the body goes, those are dug out um, and and so forth. If I can save them, I do. But not always does it is it possible to save them because they have to. They have to really chop through plants to yeah. be able to dig. But the surrounding plants, they get cut down um, it, and they come back. It's especially depending on the time of year. Um, in fact, I've seen some where they get cut back and it's almost like they're really happy to get cut back because they're like, <laughs> oh, okay, a new life. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah. Oh, this is just a little side thing that just popped up in my mind was – Everyone loves that graphic of like how deep the native plant roots go. I would assume that it's probably oh, a lot harder to dig that, especially since it's dug by hand, to yeah. dig that grave since you're not going through turf grass, you're going through all this native plant roots. 
Do you get to actually so, see that like side profile where you see how deep the roots are going in the? I I never I have never I have seen a grave dug. I've been there to see the the hole is dug, but I never really looked at the roots. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I've actually perceived them. I just know from what I've learned, and I've also know from when I've tried to dig certain ones out. They. Mm-hmm. It, it, once they're established, there's a reason why they do so well. Yeah. <laughs> they, they've got those deep roots and the grasses especially. So a very quick side note, when I first came on, there were invasives mostly in there. And there were some of the thuggish native plants like Heliopsis, Helianthoides. There was a little bit of uh, some, a few penstemon and a little bit of Menarda fistulosa. But no grasses were ever part of the original uh, plant palette. There were 18 plants. It was all seeded in. And no grasses were actually a part of it. So I've been adding, I've added uh, Erebrostis. I've added Panicums, which I love Panicums. Uh, And I I have been just um, so happy with stuff that I've gotten from Daryl Kobeski at Sunset Farmstead because his stuff is so beautifully grown. Um, so, so those are, that was another thing was adding plants that really weren't part of the original plant palette. Awesome. And, and he's, he's following the same methodology that you do at the cemetery as well. So it's, it is a perfect fit. Um, And that's, as far as I understand, that's one of the things that goes into that whole sites accreditation as well is who you're getting your materials from and their practice. Correct, Tom. I'm so glad you said that because I would like to mention that quickly. So I also have to think about, think broadly. It's not just what I'm doing. It's what people that supply what I need for the cemetery uh, or nature sanctuary is do, are doing as well. So when I learned about what Daryl was doing with his soil mix and so forth, uh, I was really happy about that because I could actually say not only are we getting native plants, but we are getting native plants that are that are uh, grown in a soilless media that is that also has been thoughtfully um, pulled together, and it's stuff I can speak about that that's important. And uh, yeah, so all all these things, to some people that might seem like a little detail, but uh, but to me, I I take it very seriously, and uh, I feel good about it. I feel good that hey, I, we got a space that's it's it's really having a, mm-hmm. a much more positive effect um, on the environment than, than anything else. I, I have one more side question. Yeah, <laughs> and then I swear I have them all, I have them all crossed off. So as someone that's, that's having a loved one buried in the nature sanctuary, do, do you get mm-hmm. requests of certain plants they would like to be around them or if they can sprinkle seed or be a part of it in that way? Is that something that so, happens? Yeah, so we we do sometimes have a few family members uh, that will bring in plants that, like, we had somebody bring in a hydrangea and try to plant it over okay. the grave. Mm-hmm. They're technically not supposed to do that. Okay. Um, so, so the family reps tell them, this is what the green burial idea is all about. It's going to be all native plants. We have a horticulturist that, that um, takes care of this. However, I've told the family reps, if any family member says, I sure would love to be able to be able to be part of the planting at some point or, or in some way, maybe be able to uh, be a part of it. I would welcome that in a heartbeat. I'd say if somebody says, you know, after grandma's planted, I'd really like to come back and have a day where we could put in some special plants. Uh, you bet. 
And it wouldn't just necessarily have to be over where uh, her uh, resting place is. It could be in a, in a whole section uh, there. So I, I'd love it. I would lo- I'd love to have people uh, show that kind of interest. In awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like I keep cutting Tom off, Tom. Do you have? Oh, uh, I did have something. I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Every that time was such a good question. I Tom forgot. Every time I start talking, I look up and Tom has his mouth open like he's about to say something, and I just jumped in there. So I feel guilty. This is worse than the uh, the ducks episode. Oh yeah, <laughs> it is. We <laughs> we had an episode uh, with Ducks Unlimited where Tom and I learned so much about ducks that we were like little kids. Uh, asking questions, we couldn't stop. We <laughs> we we finally had to cut ourselves off. That's so cool. But but that means we're learning a lot, oh, and yeah. and that's what I appreciate how much you're you're bringing to this because this has been a complete learning experience for me. And, Wonderful. Um, I'm I'm really thrilled that there's a service like the one that that Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill cemeteries provide, and that's yeah. that's very important to me. And it's I love that. That's an option for people, and I, I would hope that that's a model for other places to do the same thing. I would love to see more of this um, yeah. as yeah. opposed to like what's considered yeah. traditional. I would love this to be the new traditional. Yep. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a Green Burial Council, and the Green Burial Council uh, contributes and helps other cemeteries learn about this this option for burial and how important it is. Uh, so uh, that's, that's a, and there's different types of, of green burials. Uh, there can be a restoration. There can be a, just a natural area uh, in a woodland, things like that. Uh, you can certainly check the website of the green burial council website to learn more about that. Uh, we have what I would call is almost like a hybrid. It's quite unique. It really is. And if I could also say to your listeners, it is, Totally accessible. You can come see it at any time. Naturally, this is the fall. It's starting to wind down, and uh, um, we're uh, it's going to be entering into the cool season soon. But um, I would I would just really recommend people come and see it for yourself. Uh, and if we are there, we will absolutely be happy to answer questions, uh, anything that may be. Uh, and and no question is a silly question because. Uh, it's it's something that uh, it, it's 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 absolutely very very uh, important to ask. How else do we find out? And um, um, and sometimes people think silly questions. They're actually uh, they're actually questions that many other people ask as well. Uh, so you know, no, nothing wrong with that. And what so. what I love about your facilities, is, even though it's rooted in in a sustainable way, it's also embraced. Technology. I, am I correct? It's the first cemetery to have had interactive uh, map on an app where you can we you can go. Have, we have two two apps uh, for Laurel Hill and West Laurel Hill Cemetery, which is great. Uh, you can actually do a self guided tour um, at Laurel Hill that way. Plus, one of the things that uh, was brought to to the arboretum by Aaron, uh, our arboretum manager, was TreeKeeper. Which is a it's a it's software that allows the public. Uh, there's a public module that allows them to look up the trees and see uh, first in in uh, on their mobile device where they're located, where the tree is. Uh, look up a tag number and be able to learn about that tr- that tree, what name it is, and if it has any history. Wow. Uh, it's it's recorded there, and so Aaron is working on that. And uh, you you would really enjoy. Um, 
I really do think a podcast with him yeah. talking about some of these things because it's 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 the future for sure. Wow, it yeah. it it's man, this is I've learned so much today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, this is awesome. One, like one thing, like, I it's a little bit of a sidetrack. Yeah. Well, not yes, really, sure. but um, we get asked all the time, like, what are the best plants for deer resistance? And now we actually have the guy who wrote the book yeah. on here. You know, because we've always felt like as far as, you know, as a native plant nursery, it's very hard because native plants are, are deer's natural palate. So, you know, in, in certain times, we've seen them eat just about anything. But I know that they have preferences. What would you, to our listeners that that hear you, you combating – deer with yeah. deer resistant plants but don't say too much because we got to leave some incentive for people to actually buy your book and- yes oh yeah. you bet you <laughs> um so uh in a nutshell if the native plant is in the mint family if you look it up and you look up what family it's in it's in the mint family it's highly unlikely the deer will eat it very unlikely and, awesome. and oh, so there is there's a deer rating uh uh I guess you could say, uh, let's just call it a rating system in there from one to 10 and nine to 10 being absolutely almost certain that they will not eat it. Um, but most of the mint family members, there's actually quite a few native plants that fall in that. So if you just, just stuck in the mint family between pycnanthemum, scutellaria, monarda, um, things like that, um, you could, you could easily have a really awesome uh, native plant garden and not have to worry about the deer which is good. Yep. And can you throw the name of your book out there for our listeners? Oh yeah. It's, so it's co-authored. I have an author named Ruth Rogers Clausen who wrote essential perennials. Uh, I think you'll find it very informative. Also uh, it has cultural information. It has companion plant suggestions uh, and tidbits of information about pollinators. And it's called deer resistant natives for the Northeast. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Make sure yeah. you pick that up. Um, I'll make sure, uh, yeah. You know, maybe we'll, I, we'll donate one to our uh, little native plant library. Yeah, yeah. I'm, sure I'm actually embarrassed because I saw it on uh, on LinkedIn months ago that that it came out, and then I meant to order it for oh, our yeah. our nursery library. And then when you brought it up, I'm like, oh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> so I have to get that on on that as well. No we'll, worries. We'll get that. So what? At, so in the time that you've been there now, what what would you say is the the, the best part of your job or the most interesting part of your job? What, when you, when oh. you walk away, is there one thing that you're like, you know, this is one thing everyone should know about, or this is one thing that makes it all worthwhile. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's always a tough question for me to answer. I, I'm going to say that um, one of the things is the, is the ability to create gardens and gardens to feel good about. That's really what I get to do. And I love it. I, if you want to just say, Greg, I'm sorry, the rest of your career, all you can do is create gardens and, and, um, teach people how to maintain them. I'd say uh, then, then I'm, I'm set because that's really what, yeah, absolutely. And and you're getting to do it on such a unique and large scale, which is, which is phenomenal. Not everyone gets that opportunity. So that's, that's beautiful to see. Um, (laughs) so what was your path? Like we've, we've talked about what you do, but not. Before that, what was your path like getting into this line of work and and what brought you essentially where you ended up where you're at? Okay. So, uh, first of all, I grew up in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Um, I was very fortunate. You don't have Uh, that Delco accent. 
I, uh, yeah, I tried. I, I really, I really, hey, you know, you guys, what can I say? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so when I got into public speaking for my, my, in my jobs, I realized, yeah, I have to enunciate better and make sure everybody can understand what I am saying. So I think. I, um, I grew up in Bucks County and my fiance, every now and then she's like, oh, you're sounding a little Northeast. You know, she she, she kind of keeps me in check every now and then. And I'm like, well, you know, it basically is Northeast, you know, every now and then like she'll I'll say like across or Trenton oh, and she'll be like, yeah, yeah you, you're, you're saying a little Northeast. You got to yeah, you got to reel it back a little bit. <laughs> well, I, it was brought to my attention one time. And, and I, I really, it's like totally affected me, but I remember, oh, I can tell you're from Delaware County. You, you can. Yeah. You just said it. I said, I did. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good. Yeah. Uh, good. Good morning to you too. No, it's morning. Oh, okay. So anyway, gotcha. that's my deep Delaware County. So yeah. So I grew up in Delaware County. Um, I grew up in a little area called Chester Heights, uh, not too far from Glen Mills. And, uh, I was very fortunate. I had five acres to grow up in. And, uh, in fact, um, it was, it was, it was great because it was woodland and it was stream and alluvium and, and, you know, riparian areas along the streaks. And so there were native plants there and literally, uh, just a couple houses away was a woman named Josephine Brenneman and Josephine Brenneman was dear friends with Dr. Edgar Weary, who was a botanist uh, known for his fern books. And she was also good friends and students of Dr. and Mrs. Barnes of the Barnes Foundation. And this woman took me under her wing. She was my mentor as a teenager. And she started to teach me about native plants, native plants that most people never even get to see, like Latigodium palmatum, the climbing fern, native plant, climbing fern, Shortia glassifolia. And so because of her, and naturally my, my mother was very, you know, encouraging to, for horticulture, but because of her, I started to understand the importance of native plants and how much I love them. They were a part of where I grew up in the woods I grew up. And, um, I, um, started a horticultural maintenance business. I did that, went to university of Delaware, did not graduate because I needed to earn a living. I couldn't afford to pay for school. But that was okay. I horticulture maintenance business kept me going. And then I realized I really want to work in public horticulture. I want to teach people. I want to make beautiful gardens that the public can enjoy, not just the private sector. And I applied for the Woods Path Gardener position in 2005 at Mount Cuba Center, and I got it. And I like to think the reason I got it was because I was so damn enthusiastic (laughs) 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 and also mrs uh uh, mrs brenneman taught me about the layers of the woodland Mm -hmm. and how important all these plants interact with each other and about the wildlife and so having learned that it it was able to get me i was able to get the job at mount cuba center i worked there for eight years then had the opportunity to start a brand new public garden in Southern Delaware called the Delaware Botanic Gardens. And um, it definitely had its growing pains. Uh, You know, it it was starting a garden from scratch. Uh, But uh, my 
uh, the, the, the wonderful takeaway there was I was able to, with a colleague, um, a, a garden designer named Barbara Katz, she and I were both able together to attract Pete Aldoff, who did the High Line in New York, to create a two-acre meadow. Uh, and people say, how did you get people, Pete on board? And, I, and we said, we asked him. We just emailed him and approached him and said, and, and I sent him a video of the property and said, Pete, if this is of interest, we would love to work with you. And he, and he responded and said, I'm very interested. Wow. And so, so it's 85% native plants, uh, the one at, at uh, the, the meadow at Delaware Botanic Gardens. And so I went through a wonderful period there, learned a great deal. And then I wanted to return to the Delaware Valley. Uh, that was in Southern Delaware. And uh, the, this horticulturist job, opened up at a cemetery. And of course I was thinking horticulturist at a cemetery. Boy, did I not know anything. And then I realized there's a lot of horticulture here, a lot of history and it's back in my hometown of Philadelphia. So here I am. And you're doing it justice, Mm -hmm. doing it justice. I I like to think so. I would love to have you guys come in and visit and uh, you know, it'd be a pleasure. So, so, yeah, please, please consider it. Oh, oh, definitely. You don't, you don't even have to twist yeah, my yeah. arm. Brandon will be up. there tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> if you put it like that, then we can go get something to eat. I guess for lunch. He's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, now you're talking our language, plants yeah. and food. <laughs> we're we're hanging up the Zoom and and heading right there now. Uh, th- this has been wonderful. I, I know we're we're running close on time, so we we always save the most important and hardest question for last, even though it's the simplest. And that is, what is your favorite native plant? Yes, yes, honestly. So if I think about all the plants that have inspired me, all the plants that I just have their wow factors, plants that I've grown and so forth, I have to say. The one that I love the most is Spigelia marilandica. No one has Indian. mentioned that one before. Yeah. Indian pink. Yep. Very, very special plant from the Southeast. Gorgeous, gorgeous flowers. And I'm going to feature it in my next book. Awesome. And, and yeah. can you share the title of that book or is that still under wraps right I, now? I can. I'm, I'm in the process of writing the outline. I don't have a publisher just yet, but okay. it's called the sensory appeal of native plants. I like that. You know, we may have to have Greg on. So our last episode, we did a whole, which isn't necessarily good for audio podcasting, but for video, Tom and I, one of our coworkers brought in 10 different bags of seed and had to smell the seed to try to identify from smell. And we didn't do well. We didn't do well at all. (laughs) Now, but we're, we're, we're looking on expanding on that and doing ones with, with leaves or doing ones with blooms where you can't see what they are and just being able to identify from smell. So maybe you can come in as a guest, a guest with us yeah. and uh, well, compete. The, you bet. Um, the, the, the very quickly, the book will basically have five chapters, sight, smell, sound, touch, and taste. And I will explain how native plants appeal to all those senses and have some wonderful surprises and stories in there as well. So awesome. I, it's, it's a book that is going to be for me, my, my tribute and celebration of native plants, yeah. my personal uh, with, with very good information naturally, but, but really it's, it's a, 
it's my what I can give back to the to the native plant industry is is a celebration of mm-hmm. these wonderful plants that we so that that are so important to us. I love it. I love it, Tom. What do you think about a blindfolded taste native plant taste <laughs> test? <laughs> oh, I love that one. I, I think it's, I think yeah. that's you're you're coming in for that one, Greg. We're we're. Yeah. <laughs> well, then we'll do we'll do the native plant simple syrups. Ooh, ooh, yeah. yeah. And make, oh, let me tell you, got some stuff for you. Totally. Uh, uh, all right, <laughs> that's that's a deal. That is a deal. Cool. Very um, cool. So I think that's we're, we're getting close to about an hour and a half. Yeah. So we should probably wrap yeah. it up. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, with sure. final thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, Greg, this is um, we always end with final thoughts. We give you the floor, um, and you can use it however you want. If you want to summarize or bring up something that we hadn't talked about, or promote something, or or however you want to use it, we hand it over, and the the time and the space is yours. Oh well, that's very kind. Well, I'll, I'll make it brief. First of all. I just I want to thank you guys, I really do, because this is a great forum to share this kind of information. And um, I, for the listeners, it's it's wonderful that you have an interest in these things because native plants are so important. And I could go on for hours about why they're important. But the part about native plants that's important to me is these were the plants that were in the woodlands that were nearby where I grew up. And even for those of us that don't have the woodlands necessarily, they may have the parks and so forth or, or just a natural area. But what it's, what's important about it is it's a sense of place. It's what I feel is, you know, it's a part of where I live in Delaware County. I can say there's bloodroot and there's, uh, there's native honeysuckle and things like that. But there won't be forever unless we consider conservation and really taking care of what we have. Um, And that's why conservation easements are important. If we have a development to have a space where some natural space can exist, not only, not only for the trees and the shrubs, but the wildlife and it's going to benefit us. And so I'd like to, I think I'd like to end on it there. Just remember, don't take for granted these areas uh, that we have because they're they're a resource that is so important to us and we need to preserve them and and understand them. Awesome, that's a great final thought, Tom. Do you want me to go or do you like I to go? I can go, Fran. And okay. that's um, it's been I've had so many friends, not even just environmentally focused friends, just regular friends that say, "Oh yeah, when I die, just plant a tree over top of me." Probably not understanding that there's the whole vault and embalming aspect of it too. <laughs> Uh, even, even my dad was saying, oh, I, when I die, I want you to cremate me and then put me in a bunch of seed packets. <laughs> and then that will help, like, grow all these seeds all over the place. But uh, I think he said that somewhat jokingly, um, I think. But uh, it's nice to know that there are options like this. I I was, when I first learned about the whole vault and embalming thing, I guess I knew about the embalming, but I didn't realize it was a vault. And you're literally just kind of preserved underground for for a long time i was turned off on that and then mm-hmm. it kind of seems like cremation might be the only other option but uh yeah. no this is a, a good option as well and I, we say go to your local garden center and ask for them to carry more native plants well maybe you need to go to your local cemetery and present this idea as well yeah. <laughs> uh, there you go good, good point yep there you go so for mine you know i i just want to this has been such an uplifting experience episode for me that I know a lot of our listeners and, and even we sometimes tend to focus on 
all the things that are wrong about, you know, there's there's so many new warehouses popping up, so many things, and we're losing natural areas. But there's also a lot of natural areas that aren't being cared for that are overrun with invasives that have just declined. So for conservation, you have to think outside of the box, and this is a perfect example of – of ways to conserve and create natural areas that will be preserved forever and 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 there will be stewardship involved in it, not just, hey, we, we were able to save this land and it will always be there. Well, there's some great patches of land that have beautiful trees, but there's no understory or it's it's mm-hmm. not great. This is this is nature that will be stewarded. Mm-hmm. And 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 I hope that this is just the beginning of it, that that we'll see more of yeah. that. And it's you know it's yeah, we want to stop some of the bad, but I really want to celebrate the good, and this yeah. is the good, and and I really hope that this is a an a forward moving trend, and this is something mm-hmm. that my kids, by the time they're thinking about their funeral, that this is the most popular option yeah. for them. That no one wants the the old fashioned cemetery. Uh, yes. So I I thank you so much for for really opening our eyes today and sharing this with us. We could have easily talked to you for another hour and a half. We we were just <laughs> starting so. to scratch yeah. the surface on a lot of this. Yes. But uh, it's been really. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. You bet. <laughs> so that wraps it up. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'd enjoy listening to Greg Tepper from West Laurel Hill Cemetery and Laurel Hill Cemetery. Uh, for more information, you can visit www.westlaurelhill.com. Um, I, we don't have the URL for the, the, Laurel other one, the Laurel Hill one, but we'll make sure we have that in the show notes yes. for you to, to look up that. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pylons Nursery. We're giving a huge thank you to the Egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music. Uh, make sure you stream or buy their, their music wherever you consume your music. And live music is back. Uh, they're doing plenty of shows in the Maniunk area of Philadelphia, so make sure you go see them uh, if you're in the area. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we haven't had a, a call on the question and comment yeah. line for, for an episode or two, so make sure uh, you give us a call at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215 215- Three four six six one eight nine. Ask a question or leave a comment. We'll play it on a future episode of the Buzz, and we'll answer it to the best of our abilities. Or we'll we'll call a colleague for for a good answer. Um, and don't forget the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. Man, it's it's just growing in leaps and bounds, and all the interaction has been wonderful and kind. So uh, make sure you welcome all the new members and keep it going over there. You can now buy Native Plants Healthy Planet uh, themed. Uh, merch basically yes. we have a bunch of t-shirts that we put up and uh soon to be hats i you know i've been saying that for a while but we will have hats at some point there's plenty uh, of shirt options Christmas, right now there's yes. plenty of shirt options up there you can find them at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com there's a link at the top that says support native plants and buy a t-shirt uh if you click that it goes to our teespring store 100 percent of those profits are going to organizations that we've had on uh we had our first two with native habitat product and sow and conservancy and we're looking for the next one so yeah, we're it's, we're not taking any of that money. Yeah. It's going right back to all of our guests. Yep, exactly. So, so um, make sure you, when you listen to us, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or our website, nativeplantsouthplanet.com, uh, where, where else are we? Spotify, Spotify Stitcher, Stitcher, all of those, Stitcher, Google. Podbean, really wherever you listen. Yeah. Uh, if you can leave us a five-star review and so hit subscribe, it really goes a long way. And if you leave a little blurb with your five-star review, I give you a shout-out on a, on a future Buzz episode. We got a new five-star yeah. review, but they didn't leave – 
they didn't leave any words. So that means I don't know who to shout out. You so. Can't can't give them the listener shout out. So with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom, and I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us, Greg. Thank you again. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, and then next week we have a very special uh, Halloween buzz episode. That, Halloween and native plants go yes, hand in hand. Hand in hand. So uh, <laughs> that's coming up next week. So make sure you tune that. Uh, ugh, man, I <laughs> typically. I, I'm, I'm the one. Good. You're the one stumbling. <laughs> I, all right, let me try this again. Make sure you tune in. <laughs> Until then, everyone, thank you for joining us. Keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.